the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Good afternoon and welcome to Woods and Water, South Carolina. My name is Roger Metz and you are listening to 94.5 WGTK, The Answer in Greenville, South Carolina. You're listening to me. I'm not actually here today. Uh, it is the, uh, as we talked last week, you heard Taylor talking about the NASP archery season coming up. Um, I'm actually at a tournament this afternoon with her, watching her send a few arrows downrange and hopefully she's, uh, <laughs> hopefully she's having a good time. It's, uh, She's very competitive. I mean, if you listened last week, you you kind of got that sense <laughs> of the competitiveness just between she and I because we're so much alike. And uh, when she goes to one of these tournaments, she is very competitive. And you just have to – the biggest thing is to get her to, to just calm down and relax, have fun with it, enjoy being there, enjoy doing what she's doing and not – and she said it herself. And this is one thing she's she's really matured over the last few years because you heard her – if you listened last week, you heard her talk about – you know, the arrow you just shot doesn't affect the next arrow you're going to shoot, that they're separate, separate entities. And I can remember when she was younger shooting the NAS tournaments, you know, she would have a bad arrow. And it just it just got her. I mean, she just lost it, and the next arrow was worse, and then it got worse from there. And I can remember, and, and I don't think she'll mind me telling this story, Bomber, but I remember one of her first, first tournaments when she was like 11, when she first started shooting, I mean, she left – the tournament just in tears because she had an arrow that just missed the target and granted you know she's first first few months of shooting it and and there were a few missed targets there were a few arrows that hit the target bounced off and <laughs> i can remember her arrows would hit the target and it kind of lay over on its side because you know she was new to shooting she's probably shooting eight or nine pounds on the bow and it would just hit the target and it barely penetrate the paper and it just lay over not anymore when she hits that target it it, it sticks so I'm at an archery target this after, archery competition this afternoon. A fun in-house thing, and uh, but we got a good show. We're going to talk about a lot of things going on in the outdoors here in South Carolina, and then we're going to go out. I, I went to the uh, Strike King Riders Conference oh, about a month or so ago. I guess I was there when uh, the hurricane came through town because I left a day early to come home, and I had the opportunity. Uh, we heard Keith Combs, the interview I did with him out on the water, and and. I got to sit in with Jonathan Van Dam. And Jonathan is Kevin Van Dam's nephew, uh, lives right there in Kalamazoo, Michigan. And we got a chance to go out on the water, fish a little bit, talk a little bit, got to know him. I'd really never met him before. And I think that's real, that's the real fun aspect of some of these writers conferences is besides the food and the free stuff. Oh, speaking of free stuff, a lot of that stuff I got, Strike King. Yeah, we're going to start that in middle of this month. We're going to start giving that stuff away. I've got a lot of a lot of fishing tackle and rod and reels. Um, uh, it's, it's starting to roll in. The Christmas stuff's starting to roll in. So we're good. Um, but that's that's you guys are going to benefit from me going to those conferences. But one of the one of the things is is uh, getting to know people that you normally don't know. 
and you know, I've seen Jonathan on the elite schedule. By the way, he's he's another angler that's going over to the MLF side this year, and just got a chance to talk to him out on the boat for a couple of hours. And yeah, we got a really good story on deer hunting. So you have to you have to wait till the third segment to get that story. Actually, the end of the third segment. That's a good one. And uh, you know, with deer hunting, there's always a story. Jonathan's a good kid, uh, young guy, and so you'll get to hear his interview. And enjoy that. And then we got a bunch of other stuff we're going to talk about. But, uh, hey, I, I spent uh, two days this week down in the low country. Well, I spent a day on the road traveling. And then I spent a day out on the water shooting pictures. Just a, a different, not a fishing tournament, but uh, actual for a YouTube video that Brian Latimer's doing. His channel, Straight Up Fishing, I think is what it is. I think it debuts today or tomorrow, November the 4th. So tomorrow it debuts Straight Up Fishing on YouTube with Brian Latimer. I'm not sure what the first one is, but this was a saltwater one, redfish and trout. Had a great time doing it. Shot, I don't know, seven, 800 pictures over the day. And uh, it was kind of a different experience. It was kind of fun. And uh, I just the thing that kills me is you don't get to fish. You know, you're watching everybody else fish and catch fish. And you don't get to do any of that. It's kind of tough to stand, sit there. I mean... The guys getting paid to do it is one thing, but when you're sitting there being paid to take pictures and you just really want to fish. <laughs> so, anyway, that was my week, most of my week. And, oh, oh, but, but, but here's, here's the crowning achievement of the week is Carolina Seafood was out of shrimp when I called them Monday. Their boats were leaving to go out that day and they weren't going to be back till Tuesday, I think. So I was out of luck there. I called Livingston's and a guy named Johnny answered the phone. <laughs> Put me on hold. Hold was putting the phone down while he talked to somebody else for a few minutes. And uh, but he, they were getting shrimp off the boat that morning, fresh. Got a chance to get up there, and guy got fifty pounds of the best. Oh, I don't know. Those things are probably seven or eight inches long. Uh, had to buy fifty pounds, spread it around a little bit, and got a bunch put in the freezer for us to enjoy over the winter time. And South Carolina goodness, right out of the ocean. I can't wait to fix some of them. So that was the crowning achievement of the whole thing. The, the Latimer thing was fun, don't get me wrong, but, boy, those shrimp are going to eat well all winter long. So if you're down that way, I encourage you to to uh, go out and get some for yourself. They're good. Hey, and there's a Saltwater Cowboys in Charleston now. Go figure. That was a place we used to go eat in St. Augustine, Florida. But now there's one on Shim Creek in Charleston, and uh, shrimp and grits were pretty good, I will admit. It was different. It's barbecue shrimp and grits. You had a little barbecue zing into the into the sauce and all. It was good. Let's see. Normally, I don't get into politics here. I stay away from it. But if you live in North Carolina, the upcoming election, I guess Tuesday, you have a chance to vote for the right to hunt, fish, and harvest wildlife. We here in South Carolina already have this, but North Carolina's got it on the ballot this year. Uh, It protects the North Carolina sporting traditions for future generations by protecting the right to hunt, fish, and harvest wildlife in perpetuity ensures that hunting and fishing continue to be the preferred means of wildlife management, codifies the public trust doctrine, a key tenet of the North American model of wildlife conservation. If you've listened to this show, you know all about that one. Uh, Ensures that conservation is based on sound science, supports conservation funding system that has generated $1.23 billion for North Carolina, does not affect the ability of the Wildlife Resources Commission or Division of Marine Fisheries to regulate hunting or fishing, which is, you know, seasons, bag limits, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, 21 states, including every state adjacent to North Carolina, currently have the right to hunt and fish in their constitution. So 
if you are in North Carolina or you know somebody in North Carolina likes to hunt, fish, you need to get them to vote yes. I mean, it is a... All through the ages, it has been our, uh, you know, there's a, there's a controversy. Is it a privilege or a right? It's a privilege in that you have to get a license, but I think historically it's a right. That's kind of hard to to make those two kind of mesh, but I think they do. So this is an opportunity for you in North Carolina to put this in your state constitution, that, yes, we have the right to hunt, fish, and harvest wildlife. And these are the thing it's and these are the tenants you can you can go to. So that was uh was a little uh, press release from the uh, Congressional Sportsman's Foundation. Timely for North Carolina. So like I said, if you're up there let's see what else is here. Eh, child bitten by reported coyote in school playground. And that's that really stinks because I had a I had gone through and made a list in every state except for of course Hawaii and maybe Alaska or something of the reported sightings of the first coyotes in the state and i can't find it i'm saying i was in here going through that stuff and i'm like yeah. i spent time getting this together and i've carried it around for like six months and now i need it and don't have it so forgive me <laughs> i guess i have to go back and do all that again but you know hey i've got nothing but time on my hands so you know i'm sure i can find another hour or two to sink into that one <laughs> but it was amazing because it, it contradicts a lot of what people say in about how coyotes got here. You know, they weren't imported by DNR. They migrated. And if you look at the migration patterns on the dates, it kind of fits. So, but yeah, I'll have to go back through and do that again somewhere else. Anyway, hang on through the break. Got to come back, talk about a few stories, listen to Jonathan Van Am in the third segment. And then in the final one, we're going to have the calendar of events for this week. So hang on for more Woods and Water South Carolina on the other side of the break. Welcome back to Woods and Water, South Carolina. Boy, I tell you, if you're a deer hunter and you look at the forecast for this week, <laughs> it's all good from end to end. I hope to get out there a little bit. I um, had just just way too much going on, but it's 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 all good. I get out there and you know, hey, I've still got one in the freezer from last year that we're just now starting to to uh, put in the spaghetti and chili, so. You know, I, I at least need one more. I might have to hunt really hard at the end of the year if I don't find one soon. <laughs> Maybe this week I'll get out there. Uh, if you haven't noticed, it is it is fall and it is deer season, and we are currently probably in the pre-rut here in South Carolina. Maybe a little bit of, of actual rutting going on. The like I said, the weather this week in the 40s and 60s, it could probably spur a little bit and get things moving. Traditionally, I've always done my best deer hunting the last week in October. In fact, Neil Paul was, um, he called me the other day and he goes, Hey, do you realize what we were doing a year ago today? I was like, no, but we had been, uh, we went over to the farm and, and spent the night because we had to be at Riley's Cup, the uh, high school bass fishing tournament that night to do a presentation. And he said, dude, we were in Chester and, and you killed that deer. And I had him up in a, <laughs> I couldn't find the deer. In the, in the tall weeds and grass. So I had him in the back of the gator on a chair, sitting up there like Grandpa Clampett and uh, looking for that deer. That was, uh, that was fun. But yeah, so 
maybe maybe lightning will strike a, a week later this year and I'll I'll find another nice one. But when it comes down to it, all I want is about 50 or 60 pounds of meat in the freezer from every every time I pull the trigger. That's what it's all about for me. That and just being outdoors. No, that's probably the biggest part of it. But, yeah, with, with fall and with the rut coming in, if you haven't noticed, there are a lot of dead deer on the side of the roads in South Carolina. I drove from here to Merle's Inlet and back again, and, yeah, there are a lot of deer. In fact, I even saw a dead pig on the side of the road. It was a big pig. I mean, it was not your average little 150. This probably was 300-pound pig. I really couldn't. I went by him, and it took me a second to notice him, but um, I couldn't. It was like he was propped up on his front legs, kind of like a dog just sitting there, and his head was down. But he was right on the side of the road. I'm sure an ordinary pig wouldn't be laying there. So he's probably dead. But he was a big one. It was a big one. But anyway, uh, from DNR, drivers should watch for deer on state roads. Charles Ruth writes this every year. Uh, motors throughout the state need to be constantly aware of roaming whitetail deer. Uh, <laughs> it said DNR is not going to compensate motors for, motorists for injuries or damages resulting from deer collisions. So safe driving is the key. Uh, there were 2,400 deer vehicle collisions in 2016. I don't guess uh, statistics are in for 2017. Similar to figures from the last few years, they're lower than the late 90s because our uh, population, the deer population, was way up in the late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, the decline may have more to do with changes in reporting criteria or lack of reporting for minor damages than with an actual reduction in collisions. Although deer vehicle collisions are an issue in South Carolina, the state is a much better position than most states, particularly states in the northeast and upper Midwest. Many states have thirty to 50,000 deer vehicle collisions annually. Wow. So, uh, you know, if, if you see something in the road and almost hit one Tuesday night late, uh, in fact, slamming on brakes and swerving to avoid the deer, turn the 72-quart uh, cooler full of shrimp, over in the back of my car. Luckily, I duct tape the lid down, but my car smells almost like the inside of a shrimp boat right now. Uh, and, and vinegar and everything else helps for a little bit, but I got to do something. I'm going to have to rip the car out, the carpet out of my car to get that smell out. Uh, so when you see one, of course, slow down. Uh, you can beep, beep the horns to get them to move. Uh, flicker the headlights if no oncoming traffic is present. Of course, reduce speed. Uh, the best don't try to swerve to avoid them because a lot of what times you'll happen is you'll swerve you'll lose control go off one side of the road overcorrect and come back across the road so you know yeah you don't want to hit it but um man be careful about how you try to avoid a deer because you can you can injure yourself more than just the car if you had to hit one uh had somebody ask me how do you how do you get those deer to cross at those deer crossing signs? Well, we have a very good education program here in South Carolina for our deer, and they know exactly where to cross the road. That's you know joking if you didn't catch that. But uh, <laughs> if you see the crossing signs, that just means there's a uh, an above average of deer sightings in those areas because of like the the habitat around or, or funnels and that sort of thing. So. Beware when you see that sign. That's a warning that there are deer in the area. But, of course, these days you can you can run across a deer pretty much anywhere in South Carolina, even downtown Columbia, I think. So, peak times, October, November. Uh, most occur sunup, sundown, 
because that's traditionally that's where deer um, move, and uh, and that's when you're commuting, especially when the time changes <laughs> tomorrow, tonight. Uh, that's when you're going to be on the road more often. So be careful. And, uh, and speaking of deer movement, let me see. Here it is. Here we go. I like this one. The Quality Deer Management Association. Does the moon affect when deer are most active? Now, yeah, there's there's a, a whole following of the solunar charts and timetables and the peak activity. And Look, my theory on deer hunting is you go when you have time. And, and, and some of us at work, have, you know, that's that's what you have to do. You go when you have time. But uh, it says not like the deer research studies using, using GPS collars have repeatedly shown that deer are most active at dawn and dusk regardless of moon phase or other outside factors. Uh, and there's a graphic on this that I, I can't show you on the radio, but uh, it's from a quality Whitetail Magazine article by a Penn State researcher tracking the movements of 30 does on public hunting land in Pennsylvania during October 2015 and 2016. Differences across moon phase were negligible. The take-home message, don't worry about the moon phase when deciding whether or not to hunt. Deer will be at most active at dawn and dusk regardless. So, if that helps you out, maybe, maybe not. We'll see. Um, Okay. This one's fun. Natural medicine. More doctors prescribing time outdoors. And this is not in the United States. This is actually in, in the United Kingdom. Uh, bird watch for long-tailed duck. Search for shells. Sketch some snowdrops. Snowdrops. That's just snowflakes. Well, I don't know who the editor on this one was. This is what from EcoWatch. Olivia Rosan from October 22nd. Uh, these are some of the prescriptions you might receive if you go to a doctor in the Shetland Islands of Scotland and say that you're stress, suffering from, here you go, stress, heart disease, diabetes, mental health problems, or other chronic conditions. Starting October 5th, the UK's National Service National Health Service in Shetland has authorized doctors there to prescribe time outdoors. Doctors will pass out pamphlets written by the Royal Society for the Protection of Birds, okay, advising patients on walks to take and, take and wildlife to watch out for. The Shetland doctors are only the latest in a growing number of health care providers incorporating nature into their treatment plans as evidence mounts for the health benefits of time spent in wild places. In his 2005 book, Last Child in the Woods, Richard Louvre, which I, I, I had like his top ten sayings from that book here at one time, and I may go back and, and find it because he had some great ones, uh, cited 60 studies finding that time outside helped mental and physical health and that too much time spent away from nature caused harm. Now the website of his Children and Nature Network Lists more than 700, Lou told the Natural New York Times. Whoop. That doesn't sound right. Lists more than 700. Oh, well. It all printed. Trust me. Uh, one doctor who was inspired by Lou's book was Dr. Dr. Robert Zarr, a Washington, D.C. pediatrician who started a nonprofit called Parks Rx America to make it easier for doctors to prescribe time in nature. The site has mapped and rated parks in the D.C. area and allows doctors to find parks near patients' homes. Dr. Zarr told the New York Times he usually writes one or two park prescriptions per day, usually for children dealing with weight issues or teenagers dealing with mental health problems. Zarr said he lets his patients take the lead in planning activities. Is there anything they want to do that's enjoyable outside that they're willing to commit to? Uh, you just told me you play soccer. How often do you go? 
Would you be willing to commit to going once a week or twice a week? Across the country in San Francisco, Dr. Daphne Miller wrote uh, that she has success with prescriptions like, uh-oh, let's see. Gosh, why does this thing seem like it's all jumbled up? Oh, well, the, uh, let's see. What I've noticed in my practice mirrors that what has been observed in the studies. Inactive patients who initiate a new exercise re- regimen outdoors are more likely to stick with it than those who join a gym or work out in the coolness in the confines of their basement. It seems that a number of things contributed to this stickiness, the constant varying scenery, the camaraderie of the trail, the fact that monthly dues and expensive spandex outfits aren't required. And consistent with the research findings, my patients report a host of other benefits from their routine nature routine. Less fatigue throughout the day, a sense of calm, better sleep, a drop in weight, and even lower blood pressure. Of course, not every patient takes the nature prescription and runs with it, but for many, a physician's advice backed by a paper document is just a push needed to venture into the trails. So it's been, uh, they go on to say it's been researched in, the, in Japan back in the 80s, uh, some Guardian articles, how trees can help you find health and happiness. Um, and then they give they give just a little, um, it says try this out the next time you find yourself stressed out and here's some green space. First, find a spot. Make sure you do not Make sure you have left your phone and camera behind. I say I disagree with the second. You can leave the camera. You can leave the phone, but take the camera. Uh, you are going to be walking aimlessly and slowly. You don't need any devices. Let your body be your guide. Listen to where it wants to take you. Follow your nose and take your time. Doesn't matter if you don't get anywhere. You're not going anywhere. You are savoring the sounds, smells, and sights of nature and letting the forest in. The key to unlocking the power of the forest is in the five senses. Let nature enter through the, your ears. Eyes, nose, mouth, hands, and feet. Listen to the birds singing and breeze rustling in the leaves of the trees, which was really cool. When I was in Catalich, it had the breeze going and the elk out there. It, it added a lot. Uh, look at the different greens of the trees, sunlight filtering through the branches. Smell the fragrance of the forest and breathe in the natural aromatherapy of uh, phytoncides. Taste the freshness of the air as you take deep breaths. Place your hands on the trunk of a tree. Dip your fingers or toes in a stream, lie on the ground, drink in the flavor of the forest, and release your sense of joy and calm. This is your sixth sense, a state of mind. Now you have connected with nature. You have crossed the bridge to happiness. I agree wholehearted with a lot of that. Uh, and be interested to see if anybody has ever taken a prescription for the outdoors before. Eco Watch, Olivia Roseanne, October 22nd. Good article. And that's that's all you need to know. Just get out there. You don't have to have a doctor tell you to do that. You can do it on your own. All right. Hang on through the break. You're going to listen to me talk to Jonathan Van Dam up at uh, Kentucky Lake after the break. Having a great time at the Strike King Riders Conference here on Kentucky Lake. And, uh, you know, I, one of my best friends from school is Kevin Davis. Manistique, Michigan. You know, for, for a, a Yankee like that and a Southern boy like me to get along, you know, there's some common ground. And, and I've run into another one with a lot of common, common ground. That's Jonathan Van Dam. Uh, man, I've had a good time talking to you and, uh, and getting to know you a little better. Yeah, man, I had a great time today. We've... Uh... You know, caught a few fish and, you know, gorgeous weather down here to, to escape for me. It's starting to get cold at home. So, <laughs> yeah. 
you know, to escape and come down to where it's 85 and I'm wearing shorts, and, you know, that's not a bad thing. It's And the rest of us are wanting, like, 75. We're tighter and tighter than that. Right. Here. Um, you know, a lot of stuff going on professional bass fishing. You uh, you decided to go to MLF, and we talked a little bit about that. Mm-hmm. What would... Explain to people the draw for you to fish MLF. Uh, you know, to, for me, the, the biggest thing with MLF is, uh, you know, it, it was a really hard decision, you know, because I have all the respect in the world at, for Bass and the platform that they've given us and the level that they've raised our sport to. You know, I mean, I've wanted to bass fish my whole life. And, uh, you know, for to be able to, at you know, 30 years old, to you know fish for a living and support my family you know that way it's it really was a is a dream come true for me so but the mlf is it's just brought a whole new excitement to our sport it's brought a lot of people um i really don't know bass fishing as a sport you know as as in as spectators and and um you know they got a lot of really good opportunities for to to grow the sport for the future uh, to, you know, to grow the sport for, you know, television-wise and, and media-wise. Um, you know, so that's that's the big thing. And, and then number one thing, it, you know, that went into it was just, you know, the, the, the decision that uh, I, what I feel like the future of the sport is and what's going to grow the sport the most. You know, as anglers, all we want to do is, you know, when, whenever it is our time is to, to leave the to leave the sport is just to leave it better than it was when we got there. So uh, that's kind of the goal, and I feel like you know Major League Fishing has that vision for uh, you know future growth and and for for growing the overall numbers and the overall participation and and uh, you know notoriety of our sport. You know, it's, your uncle is well known, Kevin, and. And uh, you come from a fishing family, and a, and a family with a lot of accountants. We'll have to throw that in there too. <laughs> yeah. And I think Jonathan and I have figured out that it might be it might be like a, a character defect, maybe the gene defect or something. <laughs> have so many members of our families of accountants, but uh, so it's but he's grown up in the industry, uh, hunting and fishing, just as nice a guy as you could want to be in the boat with. But um, you know, we were talking earlier. Uh, it's not just fishing for you. No, I mean it, yeah. it is the outdoors as a whole. It is for sure. You know, I, I'm a, a just a, an avid outdoorsman. Um, I guess you could say. You know, I grew up working in my family's business. We own a sporting goods store in Kalamazoo. It's called DNR Sports Center, and and um, you know we sell. We've been there for man thirty. I forget what it was. Thirty two years or something that we've uh, been in business and. You know, growing up there, you know, we, we do it. A little, we have a little bit of everything. You know, we're kind of an outdoor superstore. We we sell we sell the tracker and nitro boats, and we sell pontoons, and we sell the, you know, all the boating accessories, tubes, skis, whatever. We also um, we also you do actually a lot. have a summertime. You can do that in Michigan. Yeah, yeah. Okay. We have a small small window of summertime there, but you know, we also have. Uh, um, you know, a lot of hunting supplies, archery, and, and uh, you know, for years I worked as an archery tech at the store. Um, I worked in the gun. I mean, I do a little bit of everything. So I, I just enjoy it, you know, thoroughly enjoy every aspect of it, whether it's hunting and fishing, um, you know, whatever whatever it might be. Hunting and fishing are my two my two passions, obviously. Hunting. And, and look, we're, you're, in South, you're on the radio in South Carolina here, <laughs> 
and uh, and there are a lot of deer hunters in South. There's a lot yeah. of deer hunters in Michigan. Oh yeah. Uh, we don't have CWD as yet down here. Mm-hmm. Now Michigan has a lot. Tell us some of the things that are happening on when you have a big CWD outbreak and it's in the herd. What are some of the things they're doing in Michigan to combat it or or to deal with it? It's it's been kind of kind of crazy the last few years with the CWD and and. Um, you know some of the other diseases and stuff, the blue tongue or, or um, you know whatever EHD. else. Yeah, EHD. We had that real bad for a while. Um, and what it's done is, is you know, Michigan, the DNR's put in, uh, you know, a handful of counties or core core CWD observancy areas, I guess you could say. And uh, you know they have you know mandatory check stations. They have uh, we've done you know limiting. Uh, and and or totally getting rid of baiting, um, whether it's you know corn, apples, uh, mineral, um, you know whatever it might be, you know the, in in certain areas. And actually, it, going into the next year, it's going to be completely got rid of baiting for the you know statewide. As of right now, it's it's just kind of in those CWD zones, but. You know, going forward, they've already spelled out a plan, and we've already, you know, at the store, we've already received all the information in the packets and stuff uh, that, you know, they're going to, you know, outlaw all of it, you know, going forward here for the next, I, I'm not sure exactly how many years, but, um, you know, really just doing that to try to, you know, manage the population and control the CWD as much as possible, uh, you know, and control our, our, our deer herd, you know, try to, Try to make sure that you know the the major population isn't isn't affected or wiped out by some of these diseases that can be so devastating. So, you know, I've gone as far as in some some areas where you can't use any sort of attractant scents as like a dopey or an estrus or any of that stuff either. So, uh, a lot of regulations that are changing the way that we hunt. But as hunters, you learn to adapt with them and uh, you know and, and to to make those changes. You know, I myself have. Um, you know, started doing food plots and stuff like that. Gotten big into that and the QDMA and and uh, you know on our property that we deer hunt back home and and you know stuff like that. You know, we can get behind and uh, you know we can get with some of these other organizations to really help our our deer herd. Coming back to fishing because we got a, we got a deer store. We're going to end this conversation. <laughs> with. It's just classic. Uh, a lot of us probably can relate, especially if you live on a anywhere near where you got a little bit of land and all, and you've got that deer running around. You just won't. Um, Twenty nineteen. Yep. Going to be a cool year for you. It is. What's it like going into a year now? Eight years on the elite, so every year you've known the schedule. Yeah. You know where you're going to go? Yeah. Now going into next year, you're not going to know where you're going. Well, we'll know. We'll know where we're going for the um, eights. For- Eight, you know, the Bass Pro Tour events. We will have a schedule for that, but um, man, it's it's going to be a whole new mentality, honestly, and and, and it's going to be a lot of changes, and um, you know, it's just it's going to be different than what it's been for the last eight years. And as an angler, I'm going to have to learn to adapt to that mentally, and and uh, you know, and try to do the best I can. I'm ex- really excited. You know, couldn't be more excited about the opportunity with MLF and and. Uh, you know what I think that the future holds there. Um, you got the eight events. Helps out to get the eight regular season events, and then you're going to have four more tournaments, mm-hmm. and then a championship. Is that correct? Am I right on that? Or is there a there's well there's six, there's four tournaments, a, a cup championship, and, and a, a tour championship. Yep. Um, 
And those you won't know. The, the right. cup events you won't know. You'll just you, you know where you're going. Um, you're not allowed to look at any aerial imagery, anything around the area that you're going to for those. But so we have the eight Bass Pro Tour events, uh, and then there's going to be a point system at the end of the year. There's going to be a Bass Pro Tour Championship. Okay. Okay. And then you got the four Cup events, and the way you qualify for the four Cup events is uh, the first two Bass Pro Tour events. There'll be a point system there, and the top. 30 guys will qualify for the first cup event and then your points will reset the next two bass pro tour events in a row you'll qualify for another cup you know and then and so on all the way down to eight so there'll be four cup events that you qualify for based on your performance over two tournaments on the bass pro tour and those ones are going to be the exact same thing you're used to seeing on major league fishing now okay so they're going to be you know uh you know, like I said, they tell you where to go. They don't tell you where you're going to fish. They don't tell you nothing. You, you use the league boats, uh, league jerseys, all that stuff. Whereas in the Bass Pro Tour events, we're using our own boats, our own jerseys, our own sponsors. Um, and then you've got the Bass Pro Tour Championship, which is going to be the top 30 guys for the season in points okay. for that. And then the cup championship is going to be based off a point system and different qualifications just from those four cup events so there's a lot of a lot of things it's a little bit hard to follow at times but um you know i think we got the right mindset anyways smallmouth fishing oh yeah you grew up there i did we didn't yeah no you didn't (laughs) didn't. trust me trust me i got some really good friends the guys that i room with every the guys i'm room with all year all year long uh, you know, I'm sure that everyone's very familiar with you know Marty Robinson and Casey Ashley, yeah. both South Carolina boys. And, and when I first met those guys, they they couldn't catch a smallmouth if it was in a five gallon bucket full of them. You know, but uh, they've learned, they, they the learned a lot. You know, the Elite Series has added added a lot of smallmouth tournaments, a lot of Great Lake tournaments. So they've learned a lot over the years. Um, you know, they've come up and spent some time with me in Michigan, and I've taken them out to some of my favorite places uh, over the years, too. So, um, you know, smallmouth right now are here to stay. You know, it seems like every major every major tour, the highlight of the season anymore are smallmouth tournaments, whether, whether it was the St. Lawrence River for bass this last year or the last couple of years, or whether it was, you know, this past year, Lake St. Clair for the FLW mm-hmm. tour. I mean, the smallmouth fisheries with the with the population of the smallmouth, with the gobies, with the with the uh, zebra mussels and stuff, the Great Lakes are just they're, they're stronger than they've been in a long, long time. You got somebody from South Carolina mm-hmm. wants to go smallmouth fishing. Where do you tell them to go? I, I would say hands down, if you're going to go somewhere, you know, the only two places, the top two places uh, in my mind are Lake St. Clair or uh, Thousand Islands, New York, the St. Lawrence River. Uh, Lake St. Clair is probably, for someone coming from South Carolina, would be the easiest. Uh, just, I mean, there's a lot of guides and a lot of good friends that I have that guide every day out there. Uh, tremendous population of fish. Um, you know, I mean, they, could, they can literally be anywhere on the lake. I mean, you can pretty much just launch the boat, run out to the middle, put the trolling motor down, and start casting. You know what I mean? Find and, find, and you'll run into some. You know, they're not everywhere, but you just mill around and mill around and kind of just keep going. And once you find one, there's a bunch more in that area usually. If they brought their own boat, we talked about two biggest drawbacks. 
that you've yeah. got to you got to come to terms with fishing smallmouths up north. Yeah, number number one thing by far is just got to be the 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 waves and, and the water that you're fishing. You know, the, these are uh, the the bodies of water that these smallmouth live in. At, you know, and it's not all of them because there's plenty of lakes in Michigan, Minnesota, New York that are small bodies of water that have great big smallmouth. But if you're going to go fish those great lakes, you're you know you're, you're going to have to uh, you know kind of you'll get a crash course of, of driving a boat in, in big waves, and you got to be prepared for it. So it, it and bass boats are not made to for the Great Lakes. You know they're just they're not. So um, you just got to take your time and. Um, you know, you don't want to. You don't want to go out there jumping waves like you're racing a motocross or anything. You know, you just just take your time. You'll get there when you get there. It's better to be there. Take it. You know, take an extra twenty minutes and get there safe than it is to try to to try to haul the mail because you know, not ninety nine percent of the time you're not going to be able to go over forty. Okay. You know. Okay. And then finding them. Yeah, finding them is a is a big thing too. You know, um, the nice thing about smallmouth is. Is they let you know they're there really quick. You know they're a very aggressive fish. Um, you know, honestly, if I'm when I'm practicing or fishing for a tournament, I'm pulling up to points and shoals and finding rock piles and finding bait. Um, you know, and I'll make a five six cast, and if I don't get bit in five six casts, you might as well just keep on going because if they're there, they'll let you know really quick. I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to take you up on coming up there one year. Yeah, one of those Come trips. On. One of those trips. Hey, it, you know, South Carolina, man, we, we love our deer hunting down here. And and, and you, the more you get out outside the state, and you make, there are a lot of good deer hunters out there. I mean, you you know, you know a bunch, I know mm-hmm. a bunch, and we're from different parts of the country. Yeah. But that bond brings us together, yeah. and there's always a story. There is. There's always a story. And Johnson's got a great one, so <laughs> we took about 20 minutes telling this thing before. Yeah, we'll, get try, it down we'll a try to narrow minutes, it down. But it's a good one. Listen to this one, people. Okay, long, long story short, basically, was I had this deer that I, I, I uh, the house my wife and I lived in at the time, we were had I had three and a half or four acres, something like that, real real small piece of land. I had, you know, an acre of yard, two acres of, like, a CRP grass, and then, like, an acre of woods, but it was, like, a perfect little pinch point, funnel point. And I had a camera out there in one tree stand, and um, I was watching this buck, had him on camera, seen him a couple times in the daytime around the house, and just, you know, I hunted him a couple times and never got on him. Well, it was a perfect morning. It's like November, you know, early November, uh, you know, frost on the ground. I mean, it's it's it perfect morning to be in, in a deer stand. And um, my wife hits a deer the night before with her car. She was a teacher at the time. I had to take her to work. And I, so I wasn't able to get in the stand because she had to be there. And then by the time I got back, I just wasn't able to get back there early enough without spooking them. And everybody knows if you once you bump a big buck, you, odds of killing them are pretty slim. So um, I'm sitting there, and I'm, I was going to go to work myself, go to my my parents and um, to my parents' shop there, and ended up going up to my bedroom. I'm getting a shower, so I take my clothes off. I'm in my underwear. Walk downstairs. I'm gonna stop, you know, start a pot of coffee. Look out the back back slider of my deck, and there he is walking across the field at 80 yards. So I run downstairs, grab my bow, grab my rangefinder, grab a uh, little can call. By the time I get back upstairs, he's at the back of the property and goes in the woods. So I'm like bummed out, going, "Dang it!" You know, I don't know what I would have done right off, but so I run, come back upstairs. Well, actually, first I opened the slider, hit the can call a couple times, waited, and nothing happened. Go back upstairs. I'm going to get in the shower. I look out 
over my back window and it faces out over the field. And I see him going across the field, turns, coming right back at the house. So I run back downstairs, grab my bow, sitting on the kitchen counter, and uh, open my slider up a little bit and and uh, sitting there. And I got a little deck out there with a couple little stairs, and I'm watching this deer and he's coming to me coming to me and i knew once he got to a certain point he could only go one way which was going to be 50 yards or he was going to go the other way and i'd have about 35 you know 36 yard shot something like that and he keeps coming and starts veering to one direction where i knew he was going to head to so i step out on the deck go down the stairs i'm standing there and mean it's 25 degrees outside <laughs> you know i'm i'm standing there in the grass uh you know, he pops out into that hole, and I range the hole with my range finder 36 yards, and he pops out in there, I drop back, double on him, runs about 50 yards, and piles up right in front of the neighbor's ground blind in his trail chamber. <laughs> oh, boy, do we have... That's not the biggest buck that I've killed, but it's probably one of the best stories. One of the best guy. stories. 25 degrees, people. You know, 25 degrees, most of us are still in the bed. Yeah. Not yeah. much in the boxers outside nah, shooting deer with a bow. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool, Jonathan. Well, thanks for taking a few minutes to be in Woods and Water, South Carolina. Uh, looking forward to watching you on the MLF this year. Yeah, appreciate it. Best man. of luck. And, uh, man, we'll catch up again down the road somewhere. No, we sure will. All right, thanks. Yeah, you, you've heard a little Huey Lewis in the news today. Early in the morning, I'm sitting there. Timeless music. Absolutely timeless. I'm sorry. Doing it all for my baby. And that what us that and that what us husbands do. We do it all for them. <laughs> Don't answer that. Especially if you're in a room with your wife right now. Just let that one go. Forget I ever said anything about it. Uh <laughs> start singing in a minute you really don't want that to happen i promise you you don't want that to happen okay i hope you enjoyed the uh thank you mr engineer appreciate that uh levity there uh van a pretty cool kid i hope you enjoyed the deer hunting story it's one thing to shoot him in the south when you might be in your shorts at you know 50 60 degrees nothing to do it when it's 25 yeah a little chilly of course the michigan people they're like that they can they can handle it cold weather. We can't. Um, okay, time uh, time to do the calendar of events for this week. And this is just some place to start. And it's all over the it's all over the place this year. This this week we got a little bit of everything. Uh, but it's is always brought to you by Visit Anderson and Green Pine Landing Event Center. And of course, we're going to start off with the foodie. Yeah, 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 yeah. It is a month with R. You know, no, November. Er, you know what R means, right? The oysters, okay? Oysters in South Carolina are in season. So, Hilton Head Oyster Festival, uh, Friday and Saturday, November the 9th and 10th. So, Friday night, nine, 5 to 8, all you can eat steamed local oysters, low country boil, pulled pork, seafood chowder, and chili. Yeah. <laughs> Sign me up. <laughs> Held at the Shelter Cove Pavilion there in Hilton Head. Live music, football viewing area, wine 
Well, limited availability. Long sleeve event T-shirts will be for sale. Uh, it's thirty-five bucks if you're an adult, twenty if you're seventeen and under. Food provided by Roy's Place Catering, and uh, they can have your beverages there separately. Uh, the nicest guys in the world are going to be on stage. I'm sure they think that of themselves. That is Saturday, uh, eleven to five. Steamed fried stewed oysters, along with delicious food for the non-oyster eater. Live entertainment, kids zone, uh, some local artisan shops, marshmallow roasting, and a sports lounge for those who don't want to miss their fall football game. Again, this is the Hilton Head uh, Oyster Festival. <laughs> it just kind of makes you want to make the drive to Hilton Head. It's going to benefit the Carmine's Family Recreation Scholarship Fund at the Hilton Head Island Recreation Center. So I think this is an Eventbrite thing. A lot of these things are going to Eventbrite. I've noticed that uh, clicking a lot of these things. Uh, one footnote, no pets. Leave those at home. Let's see. If you're around Greenville this Thursday, November the 8th, the Greenville High School and Christ Church DU Dinner Banquet is taking place. It's always a really good one, and these are these are high school kids who organize and put on this thing from these two schools. So it's a good one. Um I don't have much many details about it, but I know it's here in Greenville. I'll tell you what, we'll just Greenville. Bear with me a second. I'm, I'm sure you've never done this before, have you? Told however many people out there listening on the radio. Hold on a second. I'm gonna I'm uh, it's got Greenville, South Carolina. Greenville why'd I put it in North Carolina? Y'all just hang with me for a second because this this is good. I've talked to a lot of people who uh who talk about this one. Here it is, right here. That these are high school kids. Okay, yeah. November the 8th, Thursday the 2018, 6 to 10, St. George Greek Orthodox Church on Academy Street here in Greenville, South Carolina. Tickets are uh, student tickets, 35. Regular admission is 50. And, of course, they're going to have all the other stuff. But doors will open at 6, dinner at 7.30. Uh, the country's followed by the country's best auction. That's <laughs> what they're saying here. Um Limited edition DU guns, guided fishing trips, an Argentina dove hunt, and a Costa Rica dream vacation for eight, as well as some of the country's most sought-after DU artwork. Plenty of raffles, games, and uh, this is the high school DU function here in Greenville. Hope you'll turn out and be a part of it. And if you're into the uh, some more DU stuff, um, the uh, this is this is probably the best one in the state that I know of. It's shucking on the Yorktown. The East Cooper Ducks Unlimited Chapter is hosting their fifth annual oyster, oyster roast held on the flight deck of the aircraft carrier Yorktown on Saturday, November 17th. Enjoy the finest local oysters on the flight deck from 5.30 to 7. Local oysters being the key there. Those things will probably come out of Lighthouse Creek or somewhere. Uh, but anyway, enjoy. Um, then feast on a top-shelf low country cookout on the hangar deck from 5.30 to 7.30. Ticket also includes cocktails, all evening, live music, and your annual DU membership. As always, the East Cooper Ducks Unlimited will host the finest live auction, silent auctions in North America. <laughs> I've got, got two competing chapters in the state that say they got the best in the country. So, November 17th, on the deck of the Yorktown is another one. And I, I've, I'm trying to do this a little bit in the calendar this year and incorporate a little something other than just what's going on. And So, top three easy fall hikes. For some, the fall season means cuddling in a blanket with a hot cup of coffee while enjoying the cool, crisp mornings the season brings. For others, it means time to dust off the boots, put on a fleece, and hit the trail. Yes, because it's the leaf season, and it's time to go. 
So they run through just a couple. Station Cove Falls Trail at Oconee Station Historic Site, a hike with history, a couple of winding roads of scenic Highway 11 in South Carolina, gets you to Oconee Station State Historic Site. It's a military compound, used to be, and um, it's one of those easy ones to hit. It's a half-mile hike to the Station Cove Falls. So easy, short, and it's pet-friendly. Lake Placid Trail at Paris Mountain State Park, so nice you'll hike it twice. Uh, it's a gem of the city dwellers here in Greenville, and just outside the bustling city is a quiet three-quarter mile hike looping around the tree level, tree line Lake Placid. And then the Sand Hills Trail at Sesquicentennial State Park in Columbia, hard to pronounce, easy to get there. It's uh, a two-mile trek, loops around Sesquicentennial Lake. <laughs> so it's a great spot for family treat so there you go a couple of foodie things some hikes for you to take now the leaf season is here in the cool weather and for you deer hunters i'm there with you hang in there season will get better <laughs> thanks for tuning in hope you have a great week i'll be back next week with more woods and water south carolina make time to get out there take the back roads when you can don't forget the camera see you back here next week with more woods and water south carolina Ain't it just like a friend of mine You hit me from behind Yes, I'm gone to Carolina In my mind Three-star general Michael J. Flynn Head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency Knew all the government's dirty secrets He was one of the most respected generals in the military Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to He understood its funding he ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.